Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Quinley entitled, The Day the Church Caught Fire. Welcome to Forest Hill. And welcome to Pentecost Sunday. Today we're going to talk to you about Pentecost about what this day means. We're going to talk about Pentecost, the day the church caught on fire. Is there anybody in here besides me that loves fire? I think I might be a borderline pyromaniac. I love fire. I've almost been arrested two times about starting fires. Heard about this little country church that got on fire, literally. They didn't have a fire department. So all the men in the neighborhood grabbed the bucket filled it with water and ran up the hill to the church to put the fire out. Well, they extinguished the fire and the pastor was going around appreciating all the men that came. And he came to this one old guy and he said, "Uh, I don't believe I've ever seen you at church here. This is the first time I've ever seen you at church. He said, yeah, preacher, it's the first time your church has been on fire. (laughs) So we're going to talk about the fire, about the Holy Ghost fire. In Acts chapter 2, the Pentecostal text of the New Testament. And I'm going to commence reading at verse 1. If you're there, say amen. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And now hear we every man in our own tongue wherein he was born. And verse 12 says, And they were all amazed 
and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. If you have a copy of the church bulletin, there's an outline of the sermon in there if you're desirous to follow along. Israel was a celebrating nation. Every year there were festivals that men were required to attend. Several, but three in particular. There was a feast of Passover. Then there was the feast of Pentecost, 50 days later. And then in the fall, there was the Feast of Tabernacles. Ordinarily, the occasion brought great joy and happiness to Jerusalem. Millions of Jews, devout Jews, from all over the then known world would assemble in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and usually would stay over for the Feast of Pentecost. They would come to their beloved Zion and they would come to the temple, that magnificent temple. And they would sing and they would pray and they would praise the Lord. But the Feast of Pentecost, while it had its festive moments and a time of celebration and joy, it was also a time of seriousness because there were memories at Pentecost to the giving of the law. In the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, the Bible tells us when God came down on Mount Sinai, the Bible said that the mountain was filled with smoke and the fire of God appeared on Mount Sinai and with his blazing finger he wrote the law on tablets of stone so they would be reminded. But the Feast of Pentecost was also called the Feast of Weeks. It was also called the Feast of the First Fruits, where the people would come and bring the first fruits of the harvest and wave it before the Lord and give it to the Lord. The Jewish pilgrims, when they would make their way to Jerusalem as they would enter the city, you could hear them coming because they were singing. They would take Israel's ancient hymn book, the book of the Psalms, and they would sing the Psalms of the degrees. For example, Psalm 122 was one of their favorites. Glad songs, happy hearts, saying, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go 
unto the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thy peace within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. But Jerusalem was not at peace. Something had happened to disturb the peace of Jerusalem, the holy city. The events of Passover had cast a dark shadow over this time of festivity. In fact, the last 40 days had been a nightmarish experience. First, there was the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth. And then there was the strange natural phenomenon that accompanied his crucifixion. There was an earthquake that shook the city of Jerusalem. And then there were the aftershocks that the people were still suffering from. And then there was this darkness that had veiled the earth. The sun refusing to shine. And men groped in darkness that you could almost feel with the fingers. Unusual darkness. And so there were those depressed about the mysterious rending of the veil in the temple. Unthinkable that it could possibly happen. But it was as though God himself had reached down into the holiest of holies, the veil that separated, and it was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And so there was pandemonium in Jerusalem. Everyone knew that these had significant supernatural divine implications. The Jews, the unbelieving Jews that had crucified Jesus thought for sure and had hoped that they had put an end to this Jesus movement. And now maybe, just maybe, they can celebrate Passover, the rest of it, and then Pentecost in peace. But no. Now there's rumors blowing around Jerusalem that this Jesus had been raised from the dead. And more than 500 people were going all over Israel from Jerusalem to Galilee declaring boldly that Jesus Christ was alive, that he was raised from the dead, that there had been a resurrection. He's alive. They testified to saying, I not only saw him, but I heard him speak. I touched him. Uh, others said, I 
ate with him, I know, I testify that he is alive. But to add insult to injury, at that very moment, more than 100 of those Christ followers were gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem and for some 10 days have been going back and forth from the upper room to the temple to the hour of prayer. They said that they were waiting for power. They said they were waiting for the promise that Jesus made to them that he would send them another comforter, that he would send them the Holy Ghost not many days after. They remembered being in the room when the doors were barred and Jesus appeared and the Bible said he breathed upon them and said receive the Holy Ghost. I've come by this morning to tell you that God has come to this place this morning to breathe upon the church one more time. Hallelujah. And glory to God. Before he comes, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise him in this house. And then suddenly, it happened. It happened. Dr. Luke describes it this way. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one place and in one accord. And suddenly, and how? Suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. A rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. Emblems of the Spirit. The dynamics of Pentecost. Wind. Why is wind an emblem of the Spirit? First of all, It is irresponsible. I think Nicodemus was seated in the upper room, though, waiting for the Holy Ghost. He remembered Jesus saying to him in that starry night when he had that conversation with the Christ. Jesus said, the wind blows where it wants to. It's inscrutable. It cannot be controlled when the wind of the Spirit arrived in the upper room. But the wind is not only irresponsible, it is irresistible. Most all of us have seen the damage or ex have experienced tornadoes. And we know that wind are powerful. 
And it's invisible. You can't see the spirit. You can't see the wind. And it is indispensable. And I've said all that to say this. The church must realize, and we as Pentecostals for sure, if we ever lose the wind of the Spirit blowing across the zephyrs of our soul, then we'll die. Have you ever thought about if how indispensable wind is? If there was a dead calm for just a few minutes, everything living would die. But it's also invigorating. All of us have been experiencing these hot summer afternoons. But it's so good to have the refreshing wind to blow across. It invigorates. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel refreshed. And what I'm saying is that we need times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord and there is no substitution for it. Amen and amen. The wind was an emblem of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to notice that not only did the wind fill that upper room, but then the Bible said another phenomenon, another dynamic of Pentecost, was fire, the fire of Pentecost. Just as the fire came down on Mount Sinai to emblazon the law of God on the tablets of stone, the fire in the upper room came down to emblazon the law of God on our hearts so that we could live as commandment keepers. The fire of Pentecost. Have you ever noticed that when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism, he came in the form of what? A dove. But when the fire of Pentecost came, on in, uh, came in the upper room, it came as fire upon the heads of these people. Why? There were some things in the lives of those early Pentecostals, those first Pentecostals, that needed fire. The fellowship needed to be, <laughs> the fellowship needed to be refined. And the fellowship needed to be purified. And nothing in the world will purify the fellowship like the fire of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's a weak hand clap. <laughs> 
Just stay with me. You see, in that upper room, there were position seekers. Carnality was very prevalent in that upper room. There were those who were throne climbers, wanting to be on the right hand and the left hand side. There were few who had just prior to the crucifixion had a discussion about who was the greatest among them. So the fire had to come first. And that's why we need the fire to fall upon the church. And another reason that we have the need of the wind and the fire, the dynamics of Pentecost, and the reason we need reoccurrences is because the wind spreads the fire. I discovered that the hard way. When I set the fire on the field over at Loxley to burn off, the wind was blowing straight out of the north. I knew I could accomplish my goal by burning that field off right by myself because I could control it. But I forgot that the wind cannot be controlled. It spread that fire everywhere in the neighborhood and into a trailer park and all of those people had to evacuate because I was about to burn their house down. I'm saying if we can have Pentecostal fire in the church, it will raise the temperature of the church and kill a lot of the diseases that are prevalent in the church today. The visible evidence of tongues of fire, the third phenomenon. Above the heads of the upper room crowd at Pentecost was an outward and an inward reality, was a sign of an inward reality. Understand this, that the Holy Spirit never bypasses our humanity. He transforms it. He transforms it. And this is why we need Pentecost again. We need to be touched by holy fire. The Bible said they were in one accord. It took some days to get in one accord for that group. But there was that fire that melted and that fire that galvanized the church together. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in study of the New, of the New Testament of the gospel. That the disciples of Jesus had a very difficult
When Jesus asked Simon Peter, do you love me? He had a hard time getting around it and basically never said it. He finally wound up by saying, well, Lord, you know everything and you know I love you. <laughs> but Jesus said by this, will all not men know that you're my disciples if you what? If you have love one to another. All right, let me go. And the Bible said that the fire fell upon them and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. This was a supernatural manifestation of the gift of the Holy Spirit. This was the initial evidence of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. It was then and it is now. The Bible said that the crowd gathered. Because of all these people from all over the world, God brought them together. This was a God thing and a God moment. And the scripture said they began to speak with other tongues and the people that had gathered from all over the world could hear and understand everything because they were They were mystified by this fact that they, the speakers were largely all Galilean fishermen. And they marveled and they said, What is going on? What does this mean? And always when people don't understand, what do they do? They mock. And some of the wags said, oh, they are drunk. They are drunk. But Simon Peter straightened them out. He said, they're not drunk as you suppose. Because it's just 9 o'clock in the morning. You don't get drunk that early, I don't guess. <laughs> they admitted that they did not understand how the Galileans were speaking in their own language. But they did understand the wondrous works of God. God brought the world in miniature together to get a witness. And he did that. So the question on the day of Pentecost 
And the question this morning is, what does it mean? Very quickly, I'm going to walk through this. The day of Pentecost, first of all, means Christ is alive and at the right hand of God. You say, well, what's so phenomenal about that? The word in the street was, and what was propagated by the unbelieving Jews was that Jesus was still dead. That his disciples stole his body away, buried him somewhere else, and started this rumor mill that he was alive. But Peter said in 32 and 33 of the second chapter of Acts, this Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are witnesses. Therefore, being at the right hand of God exalted, he has shed forth this. What Simon was saying, he's, he, he was communicating to them that the aliveness of Jesus Christ, that Pentecost, that Pentecost, was absolutely proof positive that Jesus was alive. Thomas Altizer from Emory University a few years ago wrote a book on the death of God and radical theology. And he shook the church world up by his God is dead theology. And preachers and, and people just got all bent out of shape because this heathen infidel professor announced that God was dead. But he was alive all the time. In Hebrews 1 and 3 it said, When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Simon was saying the reason that we know that God is alive is because of what we've received here and what you've seen manifest here. And what the world needs to know today is that Jesus is alive. And Pentecost is proof that he is alive. In the Old Testament, when the priest would do his sacrifice and go behind the veil, and he would offer the blood, the Bible said he never sat down. But he would come out and bless the people and they would go home. And he would do the next, the thing the next year the same way over and over again. But the writer of the Hebrews said, but when Jesus, glory to God, when Jesus had offered up a sacrifice once and for all the shedding of blood for the remission of sin, he sat down, glory to God. He said, it's finished. 
finished. He said it is finished. The plan, the program, the purpose of God is finished. It means, second of all, not only that Jesus is alive, but it means that prophecy is fulfilled. They said to the disciples, what does all this that we hear and see mean? And Simon said, this is that. This is that that was prophesied by Joel 800 years ago. And he said, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And he said, that's what you are seeing today. This is fulfilled prophecy. Isaiah 28 and 11 said, with stammering lips and other tongues will I speak to this people. John the Baptist had prophesied just a few years prior. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Amen. This was the gift. It was important. Peter was establishing the fact that the Pentecostal experience was basically, biblically based and was not just some emotional experience of some very happy people at a prayer meeting. These are not drunk as ye suppose, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. And I believe there's a dual application. I believe that one more time before Jesus comes that God is desirous to pour out his spirit on the church one more time. Do it again, do it again, God do it again. It means that Jesus is alive. Pentecost Sunday means that prophecy is fulfilled. But it also means that every believer then and now can have this experience. The question was, what must we do? What must we do? First of all, what does it mean? And then, what must we do? The people on the day of Pentecost, after hearing and seeing this great manifestation, asked the apostle, what must we do? And Simon Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in Jesus' name, for the remission of your sin, and ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. That's the prerequisites, is to repent of your sin, acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, and receive the Holy Ghost. Now there are those who say. And there are those who protest and say well. That was for the apostolic church only. 
That was just for those believers in the upper room and those that has ceased and is no longer in vogue. I beg your pardon. Read what the scripture goes on to say. Simon said, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So the Holy Ghost is for you. Amen, amen, amen. And then it means that Jesus keeps his promise. You see, the Holy Spirit is an ascension gift. That's what Jesus said it was. He said, you'll know that I have reached the Father when you receive the gift. You'll know that I have gotten home. Glory. You know that I have returned to the Father's house when you get this gift. But he said, I want you to go and I want you to wait in Jerusalem. I want you to tarry until you are in dude with power from on high but I got some good news for you that was the only group that Jesus ever told to tarry that was the only group nowhere in the New Testament will you hear the admonition tarry for the Holy Spirit because you see they were waiting, they were tarrying in obedience and they were waiting for the advent of the Holy Spirit. But when he blew into the upper room, he's never left, amen. He came, amen, manifesting himself in the power of the Holy Spirit in supernatural manifestations over and over and over again. And you read the book of Acts and it's the acts of the Holy Spirit manifest in the lives of these spirit-filled believers. He's waiting on you. You don't have to wait on him. While I'm preaching this morning, if you're hungry for the Holy Spirit, if you're ready to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just open up the filters of your soul and your mind and allow God to baptize you, allow God to immerse you in the Holy Spirit and He'll manifest Himself in this house. Amen? Now, it means that He gave power to the church to witness. In Acts 1 and 8, Jesus said, But ye shall receive what? Power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And he said, And ye shall be witnesses unto, of me unto Jerusalem, home, Judea, next door, Samaria, joining town, to the uttermost parts of the world. They did it. In one generation, listen, in one generation, in one generation, they had encompassed the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In one generation, there were more than one, one million Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. 
They obeyed the gospel. One generation. Finally, Pentecost Sunday means God can mightily use weak things. The question the people ask, are not all these Galileans? Now Galilee was not known for its education, its affluence, its culture, its intellect, or even its religion. Galilee was a place where just common, ordinary men and women lived, but believed and followed the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible said that these ordinary men and women, after the Holy Ghost was poured out, and Simon preached. The Bible said they baptized 3,000 converts to faith in Jesus. And after that, revive a fire just burned. They went everywhere, testifying and sharing the good news of the gospel. And miracles accompanied their ministry. You will also make this observation. Whenever the church has a mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost, correspondingly, you will have a mighty move of miracles, of supernatural manifestations in that church. And the Bible said in Acts chapter 3, that Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer and you remember how the lame man was miraculously healed. Healed. Never walked. Gloriously, supernaturally. Asking on, Simon said, silver and gold have we none but such as we've got. Glory. Whatever we've got, we're going to give it to you in Jesus' name. They had the power. They had the power. They arrested Peter and John. But here's what the critics and the unbelievers said. We can't deny it. We cannot deny that a notable miracle has, been ta has taken place. But it said when they observed the boldness of Peter and John, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They were acting, behaving just like Jesus and empowered just like Jesus. Boldness. 
50 days before that, Simon Peter was saying, I don't even know who Jesus is. But the Holy Ghost is a change agent. Listen to me as I close. A change agent. Think about it. Before Pentecost, they were cringing cowards. After Pentecost, they were bold as lions. Before Pentecost, they were scared to death that they were going to die. They were hiding behind locked doors because of fear, riddled with fear. But after Pentecost, after Pentecost, they were boldly proclaiming and saying, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We hear people testifying shortly after Pentecost while they were stoning Stephen to death. He said, I see Jesus standing at their father's right hand. Glory to God. Testifying of the aliveness of God. Boldly declaring. Stand all over the house. Change agents. I want us to close our service a little differently than we normally do. I want us to come to this altar today, all of us. And I want us to pray, first of all, for ourselves. That God will move with His Spirit in us individually and personally. And give us a personal time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And then I want us to pray that God will help our church to catch on fire. That's what Pentecost is all about. The day the church caught on fire. I want our church to catch on fire. Because when that happens, it's going to change your life completely. Just like it did theirs. Because the same Holy Ghost that fell in the upper room falls on us. So just start moving in this direction. I know that all of us can't get up real close. But I want you to do this if you will. As many as can. You may, may need to stand to help us to get us all up here. You, you kneel, stand, whatever you want.
just a flicker, a small flame, but not any energy, no intensity. But he said, the night that I received the baptism in the Holy Ghost, he said, God turned the burner on. He said, the fire flamed in my life and has never gone out and I've been moved upon and ministered to and through by the Spirit every day since. That's the way it was in Acts. Go home and read that book again. That's what God wants to do with the church in these last days. You believe that? Raise your hands all over this house. And let's ask God to help us. Let's ask God to touch us with holy fire. Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we lift our hands, we lift our heads, we lift our hearts in humble gratitude and praise and appreciation for the life of God in the Spirit all these years. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you desire us to do. And we pray you will do it again. We pray we will hear the sound of the wind. Oh, God, let the wind of God blow again across our church. Oh, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, send the fire to, and let the fire be spread from heart to heart and life to life by the wind of the Spirit. Oh, God. Let your power be manifest in us again. Lord, before you come, give us revival. Give us Holy Spirit revival for survival in these last days. Lord, we believe you. We give you praise. Lord, we pray if there's any seeker, if there's any individual standing at this altar today who has not yet received the fullness of the Spirit, Oh, God, we're thankful that the promise is unto us and to our children and to them that are far off. Oh, God, every one of us, every one of us who are believers, you want us full of the Spirit. And we pray you will immerse us. We pray you will baptize us mightily. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Can some of you remember in days past, and it's all right to celebrate days past, when we would gather together as a people of God and we would praise the Lord and we would magnify the Lord and you could hear, you could hear the moving of the Spirit as it started across the congregation to people. And the Holy Spirit would just move all the way, all the way from one side of the church to the other side. And then that same, glory to God, that same Holy Spirit would start moving back again. And people would be refreshed and restored and renewed and rebaptized and rekindled. Amen. Because times were tough. Times were hard. Times were difficult. 
And people were dependent on the supernatural. They were dependent on God to help them. We need that kind of dependence today. Before we leave one more time, would you stretch your hands toward heaven? Oh God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Send the Spirit. Send the Comforter again. Send the Comforter. Oh God. Oh Holy Spirit. Oh Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Let the wind of God blow across our heartstrings again. Harmonize our hearts with heaven. Oh, hallelujah, what a Savior. What a Savior, what a Savior, what a Savior. Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who forever shall be. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Remember the service tonight. Brother John's going to be bringing the word. Brother uh, Sykes, I want you to come and uh, pray the dismissal prayer for us tonight. Amen. I was telling Mary <laughs> the other morning after having a good night's sleep but God wakes you up sometimes and reminds you some things of the past as the pastor was talking about. And I began to tell her about in the old times when we would have a Jericho march around the church. Walls begin to fall. Things begin to happen in the church. We had miracles. we seen miracles. People saved, filled with baptism. And my desire is to see God move like that again in the church. I love the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you have blessed us with your presence today. And God, we honor you for that and we glorify you. We worship you, Lord, and we receive from you, Lord, all the benefits of this great service in your presence, Father. Go with us today, God. And Lord, that we may just keep this. It's so sacred, God, to take this home with us. And Lord, just to reap from the benefits of this, this wonderful service that you have allowed in our midst today, God. Thank you so much for these people. Thank you for this church. And God, we expected great things, oh Lord, in our church. We love you. Go with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org. Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.